You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. John uh, chapter 15 is where we're going to be. This is the next, the last week that we are going to be in this series, Union with Christ. And then two weeks from the Sunday, we're going to launch a new series called My Name is Hope, which is all about dealing with anxiety and depression. And so that'll be a three-week series that'll lead us into uh, the Advent season. So John chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 uh, through verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Let's pray together one more time before we dive into this. Father, um, you are here. Help us to be here. As Adam prayed for me, I pray for each man, woman, and child in this room that we will be in two places at once, that we will be, yes, sitting in chairs and next to the people that we're next to physically, but also that we are sitting in your presence and we are listening to what it is that you have to say through your word. God, if there is anything that you do not want me to say that's in my notes, take that away. If there's anything that needs to be added, I pray that you will do that. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We realize that we cannot change, that we cannot be transformed to the men and women that you've called us to be apart from your work. And so we invite you now to do the work that only you can do. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Earlier this week, I was talking to a couple of our members, Kyle and Melanie Lane, about a time that Kyle decided to captain a sailboat in the Gulf of Mexico. And to make a long story short, after receiving some brief instructions from the lifeguards of how to work the sailboat, Kyle, and if you know Kyle, this won't surprise you, with a great amount of confidence, probably too much confidence, set sail into the deep blue sea with his wife, Melanie, only to discover that within about 30 minutes, because he could not figure out how to work the sail that not only had the boat stopped moving forward, but it actually began to move backwards towards, and I'm quoting Melanie here, towards deadly coral surrounded by sea urchins and a restricted swimming area that they were strictly warned not to get close to. As you can imagine, as Melanie tells the story, she said that despite Kyle trying to calm her down, she began to freak out. And not only did Melanie freak out, but the lifeguards who apparently were watching from afar saw the commotion and what was happening. And so they hopped on their jet skis and rushed to the lane sailboat trying to intercept them before they killed themselves or someone else. Now, I don't know how the story ends from here because if you ask Kyle, you get a different story than if you ask Melanie. Kyle's version of the story is that by the time the lifeguards got out there, that he had everything figured out, that he was cool, calm, and collective, and the lifeguards went about their business. But if you ask Melanie, she says that the lifeguards actually had to tie their boat onto their jet skis and pull them back to land. And so, I don't know which is the right version, but either way, for our purposes today, the point is still the same. 
And that is, when it comes to sailing, if you want to move in the right direction, you need two things. One, you obviously need the wind. Because if you don't have the wind, right, no matter how good of a sailor you are, you're not going to be going anywhere. So you need the wind. But secondly, not only do you need the wind, you also, if you want to move the right direction, obviously need some skills. You need to be able to put into practice, right, a certain set of time-tested disciplines so that when applied correctly, you actually can move forward towards a desirable direction. And the whole reason I share that with you this morning is the same is true when it comes to our life with God. No matter how much determination or grit or head knowledge that you may have in your mind, if you want to move forward, the Bible is clear, we need a spiritual wind to propel us forward. In John 3, 8, Jesus says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, Jesus says, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so just as a sailor needs a physical wind, right, to move him forward, so we, when it comes to our life with God, need a spiritual wind, the Holy Spirit, to move us forward. And though we cannot control the wind, right, Jesus says that the wind, the Spirit, blows wherever it wishes, Though we cannot control this wind, if we want to move forward in this life, we have to learn how to catch the wind. We can't control the wind, but we must learn how to catch the wind. And here's why this is so important for you to hear. For some of you, maybe you have been taught that when it comes to the Christian life, that you can just wake up, roll over, check your phone, and then just live however you want throughout the day, and the empowering presence of God will fill up your life to do what he's called you to do. Some of you have heard that, and the reality is that is just not the case. And that is why this sailing metaphor is such a good metaphor for the Christian life, because when it comes to our life with God, though God does the hardest work, right? He blows the wind that we cannot create ourselves. He blows the wind into ourselves. Still, if we want to make progress, we have to learn how to draw the sail. We have to learn how to put into practice certain skills that will keep us from drifting further and further and further from the life that we were created to experience. And you see, because Jesus knows this is true, because he knows that when it comes to our spiritual life, there's a work that God has to do and there's a work that we have to do. When we come back to our passage, if you look with me in John 15 verse 5, Jesus says the following, Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. But if you do not abide in me, you can do nothing. Now, on the one hand, that word abide that you see there in the text, it is a posture of complete reliance. Jesus says in the text, like branches abide in the vine, so must you abide in me if you want to bear much fruit. So on the one hand, this word abide, it's all about utter dependency on God. But on the other hand, the word abide is a verb, which... It means it's an action word. It indicates that there's something that we actually have to do if we want to bear fruit, if we want to move forward. And I think the way that I can explain this is, is think about it like this. Think about my neighbor's dog, Rex, who literally, right, will, 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 will sit on top with one command, will jump on top of any mailbox on our street and sit there as long as his master tells him to sit there. It's really incredible. And if you're watching Rex, just kind of, you know, on the one hand, what you look at is a dog, and you're like, okay, how hard can that be? He's just sitting there on a mailbox. He's just staying there. But on the other hand, when you think about what all is going on around him, when you think about all the kids that are playing outside, when you think about the cars that are going by, you realize that in reality, it actually takes a lot of work for Rex just to stay. 
And listen, the same is true when it comes to our life with God. Like Rex, right, who is commanded by his master to stay, we too, Jesus says, if we want to bear much fruit, if we want to go, if we want to move uh, towards the life that we were created to experience, we ourselves have to exert ourselves not to become distracted, but actually to stay, to abide, Jesus says, in the empowering presence of God. And that is why this sailing metaphor is so important. Because listen, again, though you can't control the most important thing, the wind, that does not mean that we do not have anything left to do. Because no matter how hard the wind is blowing, listen, as the lanes can attest to, if you do not know how to draw the sail, you will not move forward in the Christian life. Therefore, in light of that, the question I think we should all be asking is, how do we draw the sail? How do we actually do this? How do we catch the empowering presence of God so that as a result we can start with where we are and move forward with joy and confidence? It's a great question to ask, and it's a question that if you want the answer to, you're going to have to come back next week. Because before I answer this question, there is another question. There is a more important question out there that we must answer And it is this question. Do I even want to go sailing? Do I even want to draw the sail in the first place? Do I actually want to get out of my comfort zone? Do I I even really want to go out into the deep waters where I can experience more of Jesus? Or, if I can be honest, would I rather just sit at the harbor with a false sense of security? This is a question, guys, though I'm in front of an audience today, though I'm in front of a crowd, I'm in front of a crowd of individuals, and this is a question that each of us as individuals need to answer. This is where we need to start, because please hear me today, please hear me. If we are going to go on the journey, if you have no desire to even go there, there is nothing that I can do to get you there. There is no amount of lessons lessons that you can get to get you from where you are to where it is that you were created to be. You have to have the desire to go. You have to see it as a worthwhile journey. I think about my kids who just competed in the fun run this year. As many of you may have remembered from last year, my kids were okay, make sure they weren't in here. Were terrible at the fun run last year. Um Wyatt, I think, literally finished next to last out of his entire preschool class. He's like walking around the corner um, instead of running. Nora was not much better. But this year, I would say, you know, and this is the three part of me. I was like watching, like counting as I came through. I think Wyatt uh, probably finished in the top 20, maybe top 15 of his uh, kindergarten class. And Nora was like sixth or seventh out of her entire first grade class. And the reason they improved so much this year is I went up to him two weeks before. And I was like, hey, you guys want to train for the fun run this year? It's like, who says that? It's like, you know, you want to start training? And uh, they were like, no, we don't want to do that. And I was like, well, if you train, I will give you a scoop of ice cream every time you run around the block. And they're like, okay, let's do it. And so um, literally because of this ice cream that they value, because they prized it so much, it was enough to motivate them to put on their shoes and actually push through the pain in order to get this thing that they valued and they prized so much. And you see, the same is true when it comes to our own race, which is what the Bible calls the Christian life, by the way. If we want to run well, if we want to go on this journey, which absolutely, listen, will involve some hardship and pain and suffering, you must see Jesus as the prize. 
You must see him as someone who is worth running and striving and going all in for. Because if Jesus is not your prize, if he is not what you value most, then listen, guys, no amount of lessons will help you move forward to live the life you were created to live. For some of you this morning, if you can be honest, your life with God is stagnant. You're not any further along this year than you were last year. And for some of you, that's because Jesus is not your desired horizon. Rather than seeing Jesus as a treasure, you see him as someone who can just get you what you actually treasure, which is what your real God is. And therefore, because you are seeking something or someone more than you're seeking the one true God, your life is not at all moving in a desirable direction. And if that's where you are today, listen, please hear from me. I'm so glad that you are here. So glad that you're here. Fellowship really is a place where we say all the time, you can belong before you believe. And my hope is this morning is this, is that as you keep coming back, my hope is that this morning is that you will see Jesus truly is better than anything or anyone else in the world. And as a result, you will make a decision this morning, finally, for some of you, to go all in after him. And my hope is not just that you will make a one-time decision, because just so you know, that's not the Christian life. Despite what you have been told, the Christian life is not, I prayed a prayer, and now it doesn't matter what I do from here on out, I'm good to go. The Christian life is not about just making a one-time decision. It's about making a decision over and over again every single day to follow after Jesus. The Christian life is about engaging in a daily fight, a clash of wills, a conflict that I'm telling you, an inner conflict that will play itself out over and over again in a thousand little ways each and every single week. That is why David Brooks, who is a columnist for the New York Times and who wrote the best-selling book, The Road to Character, which is just about how to have character like Christ, he says this, the most important thing about you is whether or not you are actually willing to engage in the struggle. That's his way of saying, if you truly want to go on the journey, listen, guys, please hear me. If you want to truly follow after Jesus, it will not be easy. This is not an easy journey. This is a very difficult journey. It will involve struggle. And therefore, because of this, please hear me, no matter who you are, what your personality type is, there will be times where in the Christian life you will grow weary. There will be times where you get wired, or, or you get wired. You will get tired, or maybe wired, I don't know. Times where you will be tempted to despair, and listen, times where you will even be tempted to give up all together. And that is why we launched this series, because if you want to continue moving forward more than anything else, you need to keep. If you want to stay on this journey, you need to keep your union with Christ before your eyes. And if you remember what is the definition of union with Christ, remember this, commit this to memory, okay? If you're taking anything away from the series, remember this. The definition of union with Christ is this, that you are in Christ and he is in you. And the reason it's so important to remember that is because when you remember that you are in Christ, you remember that no matter what happens in life, even when you fall short, not if you fall short, but when you fall short, that you still have an anchor for your soul. That you are still secure in the love of God and that there is nothing you can do or not do that will change that fact. You need to remember that. You also need to remember not just that you are in Christ, but that Christ is in you, which means that you now have the wind, you have the power that you need to propel you and move you forward. Paul says in Romans 8, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, if you have trusted in Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. How amazing is that? 
You have everything that you need now. And therefore, listen, because of this, because of your union with Christ, because you now not only have an unwavering position, but also an unstoppable power, you can trust that if you are simply willing to go on this journey, that you now have everything that you need to be propelled forward into a beautiful and glorious destination where all sad things will come untrue and you will get to enjoy the overflow of God's perfections for all eternity. This is what's true of you because of union with Christ. But the question this morning remains the same. Do you want to go on this journey? Do you really want to follow after Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a treasure who is worth more than anything else? Do you see him as the end goal? Or if you can be honest, is he just a means to the end? If I can be honest with you, this is a question that I've been wrestling with all the way up to the moment that I walked on this stage today. As I talked to my wife about this last night, I told her, I said, I don't know what's going on. I said, but, but I said, I'm really not that excited about even going tomorrow and teaching this message. And, and yes, by the way, you're not the only one who some mornings thinks, I really don't want to go this morning. Right? I do too. There's some mornings I don't want to be here. But you know what? Somebody's got to preach. So, um, and I thought... I don't know if I really want to go. I had heard, you know, we had several families that are going to be out of town. And I thought, oh, you know, probably going to have a lower crowd anyway. And, and then I started thinking, because of my own shame story, that's going to reflect on me and, and how bad of a pastor. I mean, it's just crazy. And Megan was like, man, the enemy's all in your head. And then I started kind of shaming myself and being like, what's wrong with me, man? Like, I'm a pastor. Like, why don't I desire God more than I desire him? And honestly, I really had to just stop and ask myself this question of, do I even really believe that Jesus is better than to be successful in the eyes of each of you or in the eyes of the world? Like, do I really believe Jesus is better than the ministry or am I doing what I'm doing just because some sort of like daddy wound or something and I just need approval from other people? Do I really believe that, that Jesus, you are worth everything and that even if this church fell apart in my career that I, I got a master's for and pursuits, would I still be able to stand up and say, man, you're worth everything? Would I still be able to raise my hands and worship and say, yes, you are better? I am still, to be honest, guys, wrestling with this same question. And as I do, I found great hope in the prayer of St. Teresa of Avila, who prayed the following. Oh God, I do not love you. I don't even want to love you. But I want to want to love you. I wonder if that is true of you this morning. As you sit here right now, you may not want God. But can you at least say, oh God, I want to want you. If not, if not, then there is nothing that I can do to move you forward. It doesn't matter what lessons we give you. It doesn't matter what we tell you to do. Your life will not move towards a desirable direction. But if the answer to that question is yes, if you can sit here this morning and at least like me say, in times of my life, I don't really want you, but I want to want you. Yes, Jesus, I, I want to go on this journey. If that's where you are, then listen to me carefully. There are two steps that you must take. And the first step in this journey is always the step of faith. That's the first step you must take. It's a step of faith. 
Which means, like King David in Psalm 56-7, you come to a place in your heart where you can say with confidence that I believe that God is for me. Can you say that this morning? That I believe that God is for me. That's faith. And this is always the first step of our life with God. Because listen, unless you are sure that God is for you, unless you are sure that he is not disappointed with you and that you are safe in his arms, then you will never leave the harbor. You won't. You will never leave the harbor and you will never seek God's face or draw near to him. Faith is how the Christian life begins. I think of when Acts 16.31 where someone comes to the Apostle Paul and says to him, what must I do to be saved? And what was Paul's response? Try harder to be better. Is that what he said? No, in Acts 16.31, he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Just believe. Faith is how the Christian life starts and it's how the Christian life moves forward. In Romans 1.16-17, Paul goes on and he says the following. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who, what's the word? Believes. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it it is written, the righteous shall what? Live by faith. Put another way, faith is how we step into the Christian life, and it's how we continue in our journey with God. By trusting that he is good, and that he is for me, and therefore I can trust everything that I have to him, even when it doesn't make sense. But then, following right behind faith, as surely as the right foot follows the left, if you want to go on this journey, if you want to go deeper than where you are right now, listen, the first step you always take is faith. The second step is repentance. Which, despite it being the very first word that Christ ever spoke in his ministry, I know is not a very popular word today. Nonetheless... It is a word that we absolutely, guys, I'm telling you, we have to recover this and reapply it over and over again in our lives if we want to live up to our created potential. And so with that in mind, if you're taking notes, let me just give these to you very quickly. Here are four marks of true biblical repentance. This is incredibly important that you get this today. Four marks of true biblical repentance. Four movements, if you will, that must take place if you intend to move towards uh, becoming the man or the woman that God created you to be. And the first step or movement that must take place if we want to experience true repentance is this. It's what scholars refer to as a spiritual awakening. We don't have time to read it today, but all of this you can find in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. But like the prodigal son in Luke 15, 24, who in the words of Jesus came to his senses, who saw his sin clearly, we too, if we want to experience true repentance, must see just how far we have fallen in light of God's holiness. We must stop comparing ourselves to other people. Listen, the person who says that I'm just as good as anybody else out there, therefore I'm going to heaven, has it all wrong. You don't compare yourself to other people. You compare yourself to God. And until you see yourself that your life compared to God's holiness is nothing more than filthy rags, according to the prophet Isaiah then you'll never experience true repentance. Spiritual awakening, that is the first step, seeing that truly I am a sinner and seeing your sin for what it is. But then secondly, if you want to experience true repentance, you don't only need to have a spiritual awakening, but you also need to experience a godly grief. In the prodigal son story, eventually, 
After he comes to himself and realizes what's happening, he decides to return back home after he had left his father's house. And here's what he says when his father sees him. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. The son begins, and this is really important, please hear this. The son begins to show remorse, not simply for the consequences of his sin, but for the sin itself. What hurts the prodigal son the most is not that he lost all of his reputation and all of his money and blew all of that stuff, but what hurt the prodigal son the most was the distance that his sin uh, created between him and his father. The same must be true if you want to experience true repentance today. Do you have a godly grief over your sin? The question is not do do you mourn the consequences of your sin, but do you mourn the sin itself? Third, if you want to experience true repentance, not just do you need to have a spiritual awakening and a godly grief, you need to actually have a changed behavior. A changed behavior. At the beginning of the story of the prodigal son, you see the son is self-entitled and demanding, but by the end of it, he goes to his father and he says this, treat me, father, as one of your hired servants. In other words, just tell me what to do and I will actually do it. Listen to me really carefully. You want to know one way that you love God? like you truly love him and cherish him, here's how you can know. You don't know based off of your feelings. You know based off of your obedience. Because there are a lot of days where you are not going to feel like loving God. One way to know you really love him is you continue to try to seek to do the right thing even when no one's looking and it's not even popular. The son shows up. He says, you just tell me what to do and I will do it. Jesus in John 14, he says, if you love me, how do you know if you love me? You will keep my commandments. You actually seek to walk in obedience even when you don't feel like walking in obedience. That's how you know you love Jesus. So there is a spiritual awakening. There's a godly grief. There's a changed behavior. And then as a result of that, you know what you see in the story? Total, complete forgiveness. As the story moves forward, the father embraces the son. He kisses him. He gives him the family ring and the family robe. And he honors him. He eventually, the father, I love the end of the story. Jesus says the father throws this massive feast, this massive party for the son and what's incredible is the son say, does the son say, oh, well, you know, Father, I, I've sinned, so actually I'm, I, I only deserve punishment. I can't go into that party. Is that what the son says? No, he feels the forgiveness. He walks into the party and he tastes and he sees just how good the Father's love is. And that's a picture of life with God. It's continuing to move forward in faith and repentance, discovering that when you do, that your mourning is turned into joy as you move deeper and deeper into the ocean of God's scandalous grace. I have recently been trying to help my son learn how to ride his bike. And at times, he has been so concerned about staying straight that he forgets to pedal. And because of that, he eventually runs out of momentum The bike comes to a stop, and he falls over. And that really is a picture of the Christian life apart from faith and repentance. Faith and repentance are like the pedals on a bicycle. You must continually push them day in and day out if you want to move forward. And listen, guys, though the journey will be filled with a whole lot of ups and downs, if you have been united to Christ... Take heart, you can rest even in the toil because the overall direction of your life is now further up and further out. And therefore, because that is true, when it comes to this journey, listen, please hear me, when it comes to this journey, more than you need to be concerned about where you are starting 
Am I behind other people? Am I in front of other people? Am I years behind? Am I just running? More than you need to be started about or worried about where you are starting, you simply need to be willing to start. Just be willing to start and trust that Jesus will do the work that he needs to be doing in your life. This is what my mentor, Richard Plass, has to remind me of all the time. And you've probably heard me say this, but he says to me, Jared, you don't have to be in a hurry to get there. You just have to be willing to go. You don't have to be in a hurry to get there. You just have to be willing to go. With that being said, here's my question again, guys. And only you can answer this. Are you willing to go? Question is not, do you want to join our church? Question is not, do you like your missional community? Question is not, have you been baptized? Question is not, are you a pretty good person? The question is, do you see Jesus as a treasure chest of joy? Do you really want to go after him? Or, please be honest with yourself, can you honestly say, if you look at how you spend your time, your money, and your energy, and what you obsess about, can you honestly say there's actually another horizon that you're chasing after in your life? Believing the lie that there is something out there that can give you more than what Jesus can give you. I was turned on to a podcast this past week by one of our members, Robbie Fowler, and on the podcast uh, was a singer-songwriter, Moby, who has um, made more money than any of us could ever imagine. Uh, He's won more awards for his music than we could ever count. And in this podcast, Moby, who was being interviewed in his mansion in, in Beverly Hills, was telling the, co- or the host of this podcast that the most miserable that he ever was in his entire life was at the height of his career. And he said that he was at uh, the tippity-top of a hotel in Barcelona before the MTV Music Awards, and there were only four, four rooms at- atop this Barcelona hotel. I mean, you had to like, take an elevator to get to one part, and you take an elevator to get to another part, and then there's like this like, security guard, and you have to get past the security guard, and there's four rooms. He was in one. John Bon Jovi was in the other, P. Diddy was in the third, and Madonna was in the fourth. And they were partying together. True story. And he said he can remember being at this party with all these famous people about to win this big award and looking out the window and thinking, man, I wish I could get that open so I could kill myself. He goes on to say this in the podcast, you think when you finally get to where you want to go, you will be happy. Think about that for a second. Where is it that you want to go that the enemy has convinced you, if you could just get this, then you'll be happy. If I could just have kids. If I could just have a bigger church. If I could just get that promotion. If I could just... What is that for you? You think that when you finally get to where you want to go, you will be happy, but then you get there, and you're just as miserable as you were. In fact, you're even more miserable because you no longer have anything to aspire to, and you feel as a result this hopelessness. Because there is nothing left. Maybe for some of you this morning, you were chasing after someone or something more than you're chasing after Jesus. You begin to believe the lie that it can give you what only he can. You are, in the words of C.S. Lewis, settling for mud pies when a vacation at sea has been offered to you. And today, Jesus, he's not here to shame you, He's not here to guilt you. He's not here to say, what's your problem? He's here with open arms. And he's calling you to stop aspiring for things that will never, ever be able to fulfill the gap of eternity. And to look to him as the only one who can give you the salvation and the satisfaction that you are longing for.
for some of you this morning, guys, this needs to happen for the very first time today. For the very first time, some of you need to surrender your control to God. You need to step out in faith and repentance towards Jesus. For the majority of us in here, you've made this commitment before, but it's time to recommit your life to God. Listen to me, then this is a pastoral warning, lest you continue to drift further and further from God. If you go back to the metaphor of sailing, what does it take for you to drift? Nothing. If you want to drift, all you have to do is nothing at all. Just be a passive observer and you will drift. And listen to me, and this is a pastoral warning. I say this with love in my heart. Please hear me. The longer you drift, the less it will bother you. And the more spiritually apathetic you will become. So today, if you feel any hint of conviction from the Holy Spirit, that is his mercy, that is his grace, that is very sweet of him. And right now, the thing for you to do, and I don't know what it looks like, but is to step out in faith and repentance. And to trust again. The great news is, no matter how far you have drifted, God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is more than sufficient for you. And today, he is inviting you because of that where you are to come to him and to know that when you do, that he will lead you into the life that you right now are longing for that can only be found in him. Every week, because we're all a bunch of drifters, we come to the table. We come and we grab a hold of this life source. And we be reminded, once again, that Jesus was the only one who ran the race perfectly. He was the only one who stayed the course. Like the song we sang said earlier, we're all prone to wonder, Lord, we feel that we're prone to leave the God I love. And because God knows this is true, rather than sending us all to hell, which is what we deserve, he sent Christ to come and take hell for us. So that we can get forgiveness, we can get freedom, and we can once again trust that we are moving into the right direction towards the life where one day we will see Christ in full and become as he is. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, we encourage you, we have two stations in the front, two in the back, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, be reminded of what Christ has done for you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe literally the step of faith and repentance for you today is to come step up here and talk with me about what it looks like to truly surrender your life to Christ. Or maybe it's to go to a friend who you came with. At the end of the day, I promise you there's nothing special about me or your friend, but sometimes it helps us to talk through those things. The most important thing is that you go to Christ where you are, where you are. And I promise you, we'd love to help you process that as a family. Um, that's all I have this morning. I want to invite you to stand with me as the band comes forward. And let's stay in a state of prayer. This is, in my mind, the most important part of the morning for you and your family right now. Because this is the response time. This is the time where we go from hearing the word to being doers of the word. And so I would encourage you, listen, I know, what time is it? 10.39. I know that there are things to do and places we want to go, but please don't rush this time. I think one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare is right now where the enemy begins to come in and tell you you've got way more important things you need to do than respond to what you just heard. Okay? So let me encourage you, come forward in just a moment, take communion, and then return to your seat. We're going to be singing one more song. We'll be done probably the next five to six, seven minutes, wouldn't you say? Okay. 
and then we'll be out of here. So let's take communion, and then let's just listen to the Lord and sing in response to him what we've heard. Let me pray for you first. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to come and to accomplish everything for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves. Man, God, we are all prone to wonder. It's so hard to believe that you are as good as you say you are and that you are for us. But the cross proves that. And so I pray that as we come, we partake of communion, that just as tangible as that bread and juice is in our hands and our mouth, that we will believe that truly you are who you say you are and that you've accomplished everything you said you've accomplished through your son, Jesus. If there is someone here today who does not have a personal relationship with you, someone today who maybe has, has tried to maybe give you their afterlife without giving you this life because they believe that though you can save, you cannot satisfy, that they will see that's a lie from the enemy, that you can save and you satisfy, that you can meet them where they are today and give them everything they need to live the life they're longing for. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and ask the saints. Amen.